Justice Thomas, many thanks for joining us on this very special day for our graduating students and their families. Please join me now in welcoming the Honorable Clarence Thomas, Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dean Poser, for your very warm introduction. Uh, if you all would indulge me for one second, I think we should pause and remember all the young men and women and who are standing in harm's way to make it possible for us to sit here in peace today and to at least think about them and their families. Thank you all. Dean Poser, Chairman uh, Chief Justice Hevekin, Chancellor Perlman, members of the faculty, families, friends, and most importantly, graduates. It's an honor to be here with you all today. I understand that we're being broadcast in Hoopa, Nebraska, so I have to be on my P's and Q's. <laughs> in addition to thanking Dean Poser for her warm invitation and her courtesy since I have been here, I'd also like to thank Interim Dean Ann William Shavers for also being kind enough to invite me as well as um, asking me to be a part of last year's uh, commencement exercises, which I could not do. As I said, I'm honored to be here. I love being here, especially with my bride, Virginia. She's the love of my life, and anything we do together is twice as good as far as the experience, and it is always good to be in her home state of Nebraska. She did not like law school, however. <laughs> she and her wonderful family are the reason I have developed such bonds with this great state and all of its wonderful citizens. Her parents were patriots, real patriots, and they were diehard Husker fans for over 70 years, although they were not sports fans. I have tried to follow in their footsteps and I admit, I bleed Husker red. <laughs> and I've always been kind of waiting to say this, so bear with me. The power of red. <laughs> you know, it is out of control in my house. And I'm responsible. I also owe a debt of gratitude to Duane and Phyllis Ackley for always asking that I participate in the activities of the Svine University, and to a wonderful, wonderful man, Tom Osborne, and his wife, Nancy. Years ago, Dr. Tom invited me into his office when he was winning national championships. He invited me at a time when I most needed friends 
and he has continued in that warmth and decency. He's also led by his example in the way he does things. I will never forget the courtesy that he showed me. In speaking of Nebraska, I will brag a moment. When I arrived, I hit the trifecta at the athletic department. I visited with Dr. Tom, then with Bo Pelini, and then Endomigan Sue. <laughs> now, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> but one of the great moments for me, and it sort of exemplifies the school and the people I've met here. I have a friend. His name is Richard Weiler. He's a hero of mine. He's from West Point, Nebraska. He has been a diehard Husker fan all of his life. Richard suffered from polio at the age of 15. He was one of those kids in the iron lung. He was taken home and his parents told that to read poetry to him, he'll be dead by the age of 21. Richard didn't die, indeed he lived and thrived. He was a quadriplegic for 55 years. He was Order of the Coif from the University of Missouri Law School. He was an honors graduate from the University of Missouri undergraduate, but he remained a diehard Husker. And throughout his ordeal of not being able to move a limb, he never complained. The University of Nebraska last fall gave Richard the treat of a lifetime. They allowed him to watch one of his beloved Husker games, and as he told me, they treated him like a king. I tend to judge people by how they treat the least among us. Richard is not well known. There'll be no articles beyond an obituary. He passed away last month at the Madonna Center, or the Madonna House. And Richard, as I said, will and always be a real life hero of mine. And the University of Nebraska is only enhanced by the way they treated someone who otherwise would have disappeared into oblivion without a hint. He's a good man, and this is a good university. Now, graduates, I could wax eloquent, in my own mind at least, about law, but I'm sure you've had enough of that for a few days, enough of constitutional law, jurisdiction, criminal law, criminal procedure. At least you've had enough until you begin your bar examination preparations. But this is your day, and I offer you my heartfelt congratulations on your perseverance and your achievements. I certainly remember what it took for me to get this far. It was a lot. The day I graduated from law school was the best day of my formal education not because it was so spectacular, but because it was the last day. <laughs> I found school to be very, very difficult and very challenging and somewhat frightening. I'm one of those people who, when he received his degree, said, Lord, have mercy. 
Perhaps that is why I began to enjoy commencements, but I now enjoy them because of what they mean to you graduates. This commencement marks the end of your preparation here and the beginning of life beyond law school. As important as my commencement was, I cannot for the life of me recall who the speaker was. So I have no illusions. <laughs> I have no illusions that you will recall that I was here or long remember what I had to say here. I will be brief and I ask only that you bear, bear with me for just a few minutes. Some years ago, I read that if you want to know what is down the road, ask the person who's coming back. Well, I have come back to the beginning, the commencement. But this time, it's yours, not mine. I hope to share in these brief minutes some of what I have seen and learned. Like many of you, I was just relieved to be done with 20 consecutive years of formal education, faltering many times, but never quitting. I was a mix of frustrations, disappointments, anxiety, fear, and a faint glimmer of hope. Indeed, that faintest of glimmers is about all that I had. My attempts to get a job at a law firm resulted in a bunker harvest of rejection letters. My long-held plans to return home to Savannah had fallen apart. So to this then 25-year-old who sat where you are 37 years ago, there was little to feel positive about. But it was the commencement, only be the beginning not the end. When all had looked lost and I was most desperate with a child, student loans, no job, a young attorney general from Missouri, Jack Danforth, came along. He had more faith in me than I did and more hope for the future than I could muster at the time. He greeted me with a loud, pleasant voice. Clarence, there's plenty room at the top. I could barely restrain myself as I muttered cynic cynically and derisively under my breath. Yeah, right. Getting on the bottom rung would have been enough for me, but I couldn't even do that. His job offer meant meager pay, relocating in the far-off town of Jefferson City, Missouri, and a confusing mixture of apprehension and anxiety. But I, I got to sat where you sit today with that solitary job offer as my tenuous lifeline to that glimmer of hope. Little did I know what was in store for me and what would be the rest of the story. As will be the case with each of you, the people who really mattered were supportive, but many others were not the least bit encouraging. 
and some even chose to pour salt in the wounds of disappointment and despair. Whether it was those who looked at me with pity or those who assured me that my one job offer was a waste of a Yale Law School education, many were just plain unhelpful, unsupportive, and mean. Despite this assessment of my prospects and their uselessly negative sentiments, none could peer into my soul or yours, nor can they see into your future any better than they could see into mine. Like biographers, they can string together some events and seemingly meaningful facts, omitting, adding, or altering as they see fit but none could ever know those most difficult private moments, the loneliness, the trials, the fears, the fatigue, the self-doubt. They could manufacture perceptions or images and portray us as villains or heroes, but they can never really know us. You see, your deepest and most private thoughts and motivations are profoundly inaccessible to us mere mortals. And the future, being the future, is uncertain. But this day and this commencement are certain. It is the end of the beginning, no matter how challenging it has been. And it is the beginning of an entirely new phase of your lives. None of us knows how that will turn out and only you get to live it. And much as it was when I sat where you sit today, no one really knows what lies ahead. But it was just the beginning of what is now past in my life, but perhaps prologue in yours. As I look out at each of you, I wish that I could guarantee each of you success but I can't. I wish I could help find that perfect job, or at least a job, but I can't. I wish I could assure you, you all, happy, productive lives, but alas, I can't. But I do know that you are here at your commencement, the beginning of your future, and with that, each of you will have a chance, a very real chance. Having been where you are, I offer you encouragement and a few words of advice. However, it will be up to you to make of the future what you can by reflecting on what it took you to get this far. You will most certainly find guidance for the rest of your journey. Try to remember those who helped you when you couldn't help yourself or when you were most in need of help. Your parents, your spouses, your relatives, friends, teachers, you know who they are and you know who was there. Thank them, appreciate them, hold on to them. They will be the foundation on which you will construct the rest of your lives. They will also be there when the chips are down. 
always remember that you did not get this far on your own and you will not go the rest of the way on your own. <coughs> Think of those to whom you would go if you suffered some kind of misfortune. These are the people you, who obviously believe, you, these are the people you obviously believe you can count on. And you know why you believe this. Thank them for being there for you. Try to be positive and focus on what is good, on what is worth preserving. Then, work to improve or correct what is wrong. It is not enough to constantly point out imperfections. In fact, doing so is easy and really boring. You know, I often wonder what those who constantly point out imperfections in others are perfect at themselves. Quite frankly, the longer I live, the more I respect and admire those who live their lives diligently, discharging their daily responsibilities without complaint and almost without notice. These were the people who lived around me during my youth. Principal among them were my grandparents. But as I sat at my commencement 37 years ago, I looked beyond them to those who I thought were more sophisticated, smarter, urbane, and better. Time and life have corrected this misimpression. These unlettered people embodied all that was good about this great country. They were honest, hardworking, frugal, law-abiding, deeply religious, and unabashedly patriotic. They knew what their obligations were to family, to fellow citizens, and country, and they discharged those obligations without complaint and with a quiet dignity and an overarching decency. They always seemed to be able to find something for which to be grateful. Food on our plates, a roof over our heads, clothes on, clothes on our back, and they could always find another plate of food for the hungry or a refreshing drink for the thirsty. Despite the obvious unfairness and countless opportunities to complain, they chose to show us by example how to live virtuous lives. They refused to be victims of circumstances and required us by example to do the same. What seemed commonplace in my youth now seems countercultural today. Adding to a never-ending litany of complaints, unfairness, and injustices now passes for heroism. In our hearts, we know the difference between real heroes and self-serving imitators. The real heroes are those who, like the people of my youth, discharge their responsibilities and duties without fanfare. They are the ones who raise their families, help their neighbors, fight our wars, put out our fires, build our buildings, and harvest our crops. 
These are the people who have sacrificed much and often risk all for us and for our country. I've had occasion to visit, visit our wounded warriors. The severity of their wounds is quite sobering. Yet, I have yet to hear one complain. In talking with them and understanding their willingness to sacrifice all for us and for our country, I have come to wonder for what are we willing to sacrifice all, risk all, lose all. And even if we are not called to put all on the line in defense of all that is dear to us, then how do we earn what others have sacrificed to give us? One of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. After losing many of his men in an effort to save Private Ryan, Captain Miller, who's dying, tells Private Ryan to earn what they have done for him. Years later, the now elderly Private Ryan returns to visit Captain Miller's grave. He says to him, every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. Not the least satisfied, he turns and emotionally asks for reassurance from his wife. Tell me I have, been a, I have led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. For Private Ryan, he had to figure out how to earn what his fellow soldiers had given him at the cost of their lives. I ask each of you in all sincerity, what will you do to earn what others have sacrificed to give you? What have you already done to earn that sacrifice? What should each of us do to earn the sacrifices of those who have given their last full measure for our country and our liberties? Do we repay them with ridicule, complaints, and derision? How do we earn the right to be free, to live in this great country? Just as someone, just as someone built this building, arranged this room, made sure it was set up for your commencement, and someone made it possible for there to be this, those made it possible for there to be this day for you all. I often think of those people who have died so that we may live free. You know, I enjoy watching television programs about how things are made, but I am consumed by the commitment to learn about our fellow citizens who gave so, gave so much that we could live in freedom. I'm a big admirer of Sir Winston Churchill when he became prime minister while under siege by Adolf Hitler, he spoke of the Royal Air Force pilots who defended Great Britain. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few.
Today, with respect to our founders and those who built this great country, family by family, job by job, farm by farm, war by war, I would loosely paraphrase Sir Winston, never in the history of our country has so little thanks been given to those owed so much. Those who gave us our state and our country have discharged their duties and who did the hard things are the real backbone of our nation. They are the ones who made it all work and deep down we know it. Each of you is about to enter the legal profession and by now I'm sure you know the critical role of law and the rule of law in a free society. As lawyers, you will not only begin new careers, but you will be entrusted with considerable responsibility to make our legal system and our country work. And what you have learned and what you will be called upon to do in your lifetime is about more than law, however. Much, much more. In your lives, families, communities, you will be called on to continue the work of those who have gone before us. This is just the beginning, the commencement. I love listening to football coaches. Have you noticed that they always talk about how much more work the team has to do in order to do well or to win? Preparation is always the key. We have to work hard. We have to keep detailed, etc. There are a lot of people I have seen over my lifetime who bury their talents or whose talents are buried with them. There simply is no substitute for discipline and hard work. Coach Bobby Knight, a friend of mine, was asked whether his team had the will to win. His gruff response was that everyone has the will to win. The real question is, do they have the will to prepare? We all want to enjoy the benefits of liberty and the rule of law, but do we have the will to work for it? I often wonder if we demand more of our athletes over a sport than we demand of ourselves in defense and preservation of liberty. I just wish I had the capacity to convey fully just how critically important it is that you take full ownership in, in and responsibility for our legal system. I know you've been busy making your way through law school and that you will, you have immediate concerns ahead of you. As I said earlier, I fully understand, but keep in mind that ultimately you and all around you are counting on there being a working, functioning legal system. If this is to continue working, it will be because of you. I have been at this a long time. There is no mystery person making this all work. There is no Wizard of Oz. And if you don't do it, who will? And if others do it, what will their intentions be? Just as you would not leave your laptop, your cell phone, 
or your iPod unattended in strange places, don't leave your legal system and your country unattended. They may be gone when you get around to focusing on them. As you begin, I implore you to try to be real heroes to your families, your friends, your neighbors, your country, and yourselves. This is your state and your country. You, like the rest of us, are obligated to be good citizens and to do all you can to make our civil society work, to correct what needs to be corrected, and to sustain and improve what works. But like a house, you cannot just watch it fall into a state of disrepair and expect to have a decent place to live comfortably and safely. Be true to your faith and your beliefs. And no matter what the cynics and negative people say or do, hold on to your hope and to your dreams. Hold on to the best that those who raised you provided you with and the best traditions and the best principles of our country. Finally, treat others personally and professionally the way you would like to be treated. This timeless golden rule is a priceless touchstone of conduct. In the twilight of your years, you may well turn to your loved ones, as Private Ryan did to his wife, to be reassured that you, that you lived a good life and that you had been a good person. If you do your duty, live honorably, are true to your faith and your family and your friends, the answer would undoubtedly be yes. In doing so, you will earn what others have sacrificed to give you. Live good and decent lives. I assure you that somewhere and to someone, you will be a hero. And those of us who are slowly but inevitably now slipping into the twilight of our mortality are counting on you. You see, we need heroes too. For you, it will be in the deed, the glory. Congratulations and God bless each of you.